0: Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us. We are grateful for the opportunity that we have to be together tonight to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking tonight at Philippians in the first chapter. We're going to be looking specifically at verse 12 and following as we think about the theme, A Door of Opportunity. Before we begin, I do want to make mention of the fact that our radio program that airs each Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m., a uh, a number of people have uh, made mention to me of the fact that they have been listening. I had someone tell me the other day that the program goes as far south or southeast as Tupelo. And I know that on occasions, uh, you might even be able to pick up the station that is AM 560 to the Tennessee River on the way to Nashville. The program follows immediately the Get well program with Brother Gary Colley, Truth in Love, and that program has been airing for about 50 years. One other thing I do want to make mention of, this past Thursday, Jason McDade and I, along with Jason Hilburn from the Nesbitt Congregation, we had the opportunity to meet over at the high school and we taped a television program, or rather not a television program, but a commercial that will be airing on Super Bowl Sunday. And the Spiritual Sword Media has uh, been in the process of signing a contract with Channel 5 and Jason, well, actually both Jasons, uh, they were the technical experts and we We taped uh, a lot of different takes trying to get a good shot for uh, the airing next Sunday. And it will be airing, this commercial will be airing throughout the day. And as you can imagine, it's very costly to air uh, television commercials on Super Bowl Sunday. But the idea is that this will raise the visibility of the church in this area and hopefully and prayerfully plant a seed in the hearts and lives of people in this community. And it's my understanding that the commercial itself will be seen in about 80-something counties uh, in this area. And so it should extend as far north as Kentucky, Missouri, Arkansas, uh, uh, let's see, Mississippi. I think it may even uh, reach over into Alabama as well and then, of course, in Tennessee. But I would uh, certainly encourage you to be looking for that commercial Uh, We're grateful for the opportunity that we have to uh, try to present New Testament Christianity in this community. All right, before we begin, let's look at Philippians chapter 1, and before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for every opportunity that we have to do good. We're thankful, Holy Father, for the many doors of opportunity that have been opened to us in this community and in this world. And Father, we pray that you would bless us as we study your word tonight. We pray that we would draw closer to you. Help us, Holy Father, to focus our hearts and lives in service to you and in your kingdom. We ask, Holy Father, that you would bless the church here. We pray that the work here might grow spiritually as well as numerically, that we would be a light in this community, and that everything that is said and done here would be to your name's honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at Philippians chapter 1 tonight, we want to think about the theme, a door of opportunity. One of the things that impresses me most about the Apostle Paul is the fact that he was always looking for an opportunity to advance the cause of Christ. Whatever the situation may have been, Paul was always looking for that door of opportunity that would lead him to another soul. And certainly that is reflected in his writings to the people living in the city of Philippi. We think about the church of Philippi. And of course, when Paul penned this letter, you need to understand that he was a prisoner. This is one of four prison epistles penned by the hand of Paul. And Paul, as he does in so many instances, tries to encourage those who belong to the body of Christ. And Paul talks about his ministry in chapter 1, his efforts, his desire for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so tonight we look at Philippians chapter 1, and the first thing that I want to call your attention to has to do with Paul's chains in Christ, And really we're talking here about his fetters. Paul, as I said a moment ago, was a prisoner of the Lord. He had been imprisoned in Rome. And in verse 7 of chapter 1, he speaks of his chains in the Lord. And then dropping down to verse 12, he writes, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now just put yourself in the place of Paul. What if you had been imprisoned for the cause of Christ? What if you tonight were imprisoned because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What would your mindset be? I think back to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul and Silas having been imprisoned in the city of Philippi. And the Bible tells us that they had been beaten with many stripes. Their feet had been placed in stocks. And yet in verse 25, the Holy Spirit informs us through the pen of Luke, the inspired historian, that Paul and Silas... Prayed and sang praises to God. And I think that this helps us to gain some insight into the mentality, the mindset of Paul. Even when things may have looked dim and bleak and dark and gloomy, Paul looked at things through an optimistic lens. Paul was always optimistic. And so his mindset is reflected in these verses. Now, you might ask the question, how could Paul use his chains in the Lord to advance the cause of Christ? How could that have been beneficial to the work of the church, to the lost? Well, I think in a couple of ways. Number one, Paul's chains in Christ afforded him contact with sinners. In other words, Paul's imprisonment the fact that he was chained to a Roman guard and in the Praetorian guard, they rotated that shift about every six hours. And so four times in a 24-hour period of time, Paul had a new person sitting beside him. And Paul had the opportunity to what? To teach them. Now, We talk about opportunities for contacting those who were in sin. Paul used every opportunity available to him. Here is somebody that is literally chained to him. And Paul, when he writes to Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 9, he talks about how he is suffering as a troublemaker even to the point of change. He said, but the word of God is not bound. And the idea is you might be able to bind somebody, physically speaking, but you can't bind the word of Almighty God. And so here is Paul using the opportunity before him to teach others. Now, as I think about Paul, look again at verse 13. Paul writes, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and, and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. The mindset of Paul. Think about a 24-hour span of time in the life of Paul. What do you think Paul thought about? What do you think Paul talked about? I can tell you what he thought about, and I can tell you what he talked about. He thought about Christ. He talked about Christ. How do I know that? Well, just look at Philippians chapter 1 and note the numerous occasions that the Apostle Paul speaks of Christ. In verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ to the saints in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, another allusion to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, another reference to Jesus Christ. Down in verse 8, He speaks of the affection of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, the day of Christ. Verse 11, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, his chains in Christ. Verse 15, preaching Christ. Verse 16, again, preaching Christ. Verse 18, Christ is preached. You get the idea? That when you look at the life of Paul, his life was saturated with Christ. Now, if someone were to spend 24 hours a day with you over the next seven days, how many times would they hear you talk about Christ? How often would people hear you talk about Jesus? Once a day? Twice a day? Three times a day? Once an hour? Twice an hour? What what would the statistics be? In my mind, I think about somebody who literally, every time he spoke, talked about Jesus. His life was literally consumed by Christ. That's why when he wrote to the saints in Galatia, he could say, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul had literally put to death his life in favor of Christ. He said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. So you have Paul constantly talking and thinking about Jesus Christ. Now, again, looking at the life of Paul over the span of 24 hours. What do you think Paul is doing? Well, I think think about a man who is constantly concentrating on Jesus Christ, what he can do for the cause of Christ, constantly looking for doors of opportunity. Could this door be open to me? Could that door be open to me? Then also consider the prayers of Paul. Paul was a man who spent a lot of time in prayer. As a matter of fact, when he wrote to the saints in Philippi, he said in verse 4, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. Just because Paul was chained to a Roman guard, don't think for a minute he wasn't still praying. Paul was a man of prayer. Paul spent a lot of time in prayer. And I think certainly that's reflected back in Acts chapter 16 verse 25. Here's Paul and Silas. They're in prison. And what are they doing? They are praying to Jehovah God. Again, just because Paul was chained did not mean that he could not bow his head in prayer to God. For whom could he pray? He could pray for himself. He could pray for these saints. He could pray that other doors of opportunity would be opened. Over in chapter 4 of the book of Colossians, and Colossians is one of the prison epistles. And in Colossians chapter 4, Paul talks about continuing steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. And then he says, praying always also for us that a door might be opened for the Word. I think Paul, yes, I think Paul prayed for himself, but I think more importantly, Paul was praying for others. And Paul was praying that other doors of opportunity would be opened so that he might have the opportunity to talk about Christ. So here here you have the Apostle Paul pondering thinking about Christ. He's praying regularly. And then don't think for a minute he's not using this opportunity to preach to those who are at his side. Paul was a preaching machine. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 5. Here was a man who was dedicated to the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And then what about his persuasive powers? Do you not think that the Apostle Paul tried to appeal to the hearts and minds of people? Take, for example, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 10. There Paul said, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we what? We persuade men. I think about Paul sitting down beside a Roman guard and doing everything within his power to persuade him to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ Paul's actions were such that not only did he reach those who were guarding him we think about his impact on Caesar's household over in chapter 4 verse 22 where Paul sends greetings from the household of Caesar. Paul made a difference. Sometimes I think we're prone to write people off, maybe because we think they're too prominent, too powerful, too prestigious. Maybe we think they wouldn't be interested in the gospel of Christ, or here's somebody else who's down on their luck, who they've had some hard times, they're discouraged, their lives are filled with anxiety, and we simply say, well, they won't be interested. How do we know that? Paul looked for opportunities to preach and teach the gospel of Christ. So first of all, when you talk about his chains in Christ, his chains afforded him the opportunity to have contact with sinners. It also afforded courage to saints. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 14. Paul's in chains, in Christ, verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What's Paul saying there? Paul here is saying that people are inspired. In other words, they're much more bold to proclaim, to teach others the gospel of Christ because of what he has experienced and what he was currently undergoing. Sometimes when we look at the lives of other people and we think about what they're going through or what they're experiencing and we see their faith, and their fidelity, and the fact that they just don't seem to be moved by adversity and by trouble, what does that do? That inspires us. Sometimes it inspires us to greater heights of service. And here were people that were looking at the life of Paul, they're looking at this man who is chained, who is imprisoned for the cause of Christ, and because of what he is doing and what he has done, Oh, well, they're inspired. Speak the word much more boldly. So not only did it afford contact to sinners, it afforded courage to saints. And I think that there is a lesson there for us. You and I, we need to understand that people look at how we live, how we conduct ourselves on a daily basis. And they see whether or not we are an encouragement for the cause of Christ or is it possible we become discouraged downhearted, cynical. And as a result of that, our faith shrinks back, and thus we cause others to shrink in their faith. Number two. First of all, we think about Paul's chains in Christ, but then secondly, his conflict And now we're talking about not just his foes, but his friends. So look, if you would, at verse 15. Paul, first of all, speaks of his critics. And then he's going to talk about his comrades. Those who preach and teach the gospel would do well to know who their critics are and who their comrades are those who preach and teach the gospel of Christ would do well to know who's for them and who's against them, who will stand with them and who will stand opposed to them. Paul knew. Paul knew his critics and he knew his comrades. So look at what he says, beginning in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. He said, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Now, it's hard for me to envision or imagine people that that have it out for Paul. I mean, what had Paul done to them? Paul was simply a preacher and teacher of the gospel. Now, granted, he had been a convert to Christianity out of Judaism, And the one who had been such a zealous persecutor of the church became the persecuted. And Paul will talk about over in the book of Galatians in chapter 6 at verse 17 how he bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was a persecuted man. And you can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and note some of the adversities that he faced in his ministry. But here were people that were preaching Christ not because they were necessarily concerned about the loss, not because they were trying to advance the cause of Christ, but rather they thought in so doing, it would stir up trouble for Paul. Now you want to talk about some mean-spirited people. I mean, here are some people that have it out for Paul. And so as, as Paul said, they're preaching Christ from envy and strife, from selfish ambition, not Sincerely, but rather supposing to add affliction to my chains. So his critics had it out for him. But then, on the other hand, there were some comrades. I think about fellow soldiers in the body of Christ. Here are individuals that will stand shoulder to shoulder, toe to toe. And like Paul, they're set for the defense and confirmation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, look at what it says about his comrades. Some indeed preach Christ from what? From goodwill. And then look at verse 17. Those who preach Christ from goodwill. He says, the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Why do we preach and teach the gospel of Christ? Is it about us? Was it about Paul? Was it about Paul becoming some great man in the eyes of people? No. Paul makes that abundantly clear when he he wrote to the saints in Corinth, when he said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord and ourselves as your servants for his sake. I am convinced that Paul preached the gospel out of love. Number one, out of love for Almighty God. Paul envisioned, Paul saw himself as a debtor. He realized that he was indebted to what God through Christ had done for him. You can read about that in Romans chapter 1. Paul loved the Lord. Here was a man that understood the depth of the love of God. And you and I, we will never be able to preach and teach to others about a lost and dying. We will never be able to preach to a lost and dying world until we understand the love of God. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he hath loved us, in Ephesians 2, at verse 4. Or what about when he wrote to the people in Rome, when he said, God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul was willing to preach the gospel because he loved the Lord. He understood that the Lord had loved him and sent his son to die for his sins. And thus, he loved the Lord. But Paul not only loved the Lord, but he loved the souls of people. Paul loved his own kinsmen, that is, his Hebrew brethren. When he wrote to the church or churches of Rome, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and supplication to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul loved the lost. That's why he was willing to preach and teach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And so, his critics, his comrades, but ultimately, his celebration. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul was made merry over the fact that the gospel was being preached. Whatever the motives of people may have been, whether it had to do with his critics or his comrades, Paul was just glad that the gospel was being proclaimed. And so, you and I today, we take great encouragement in knowing the gospel was preached by a man who loved the Lord. But then thirdly, note with me if you would, his confidence in Christ. And now we're talking about his faith. Paul was a man of great faith in the Lord. And you and I, as we think about the faith that we have, I'm reminded of what the disciples of Jesus said to him and the long ago. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Some of us, we need stronger faith. We need greater faith. Paul was a man of faith. and Paul's faith was, was such that I believe today that you and I, we would do well to emulate it. But note what is said by the Apostle Paul as we think about his confidence or his faith. Now, Paul's desire, he's going to make it known. Here's what Paul is all about. Look at verses 19 and 20. For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul here is saying, listen, my ultimate goal, my desire, is the magnification of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If it's by living, so be it. If it's by dying, so be it. Come what may, my desire is to magnify the cause of Christ. You and I today, sometimes we think about scientists who will use microscopes. A microscope will make a small object look much bigger. By way of a telescope, we think about astronomers who look up up into the stars, and they gaze upon the beauty of God's handiwork. A telescope will make something distant seem much closer. And really, when Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, he was saying that by magnifying Christ in his body, that he could make a little Christ look big. A distant Christ seem close. What about you? When people look at your life, when people look at you as a child of God, what do they see? When people examine the fruit of your life, what do they come away with? I believe that we see a man here who is very courageous. Paul is saying, listen, I'm willing to lay it all on the line for the cause of Christ. Do we really understand what it means to lay it all on the line for the cause of Christ? I mean, we can't even get some people to come back to Sunday night worship. No, we don't understand what it means to lay it all on the line. I don't think we do. I mean, sometimes we talk like we know, but do we really understand? Do some understand? I think they do. There are many who don't. Paul was a very courageous soldier of the cross. And Paul here is saying, listen, I'm willing to be spent for the cause of Christ. Are you willing to be used for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to do everything within your power to advance the cause of Christ, come what may? Paul said, listen, I'm willing to magnify Christ whether by life or by death in my body. Just a moment ago I referenced Galatians 6, 17 where Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Individuals that play sports will sometimes come away with bumps and bruises. Do you have any bumps and bruises for the cause of Christ? Have you faced some tough times, some difficult days, some adversities because of your service for the cause of Christ? And have you been undeterred because of your love for the Lord in your service to Him, even though times might have been tough, you continued on? Was that your your mentality? Or did you give up? So first of all, we think about His courage, but then also His craving. Look, if you would, at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live only in the the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yes, what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Do you fear death? Are you afraid of death? There are a lot of people in our world today, they're afraid of death. They're afraid of dying. I don't believe that Paul feared death. I think Paul welcomed death. I think that the apostle Paul looked at death as an ally. You might ask the question, how is that the case? Why would Paul welcome death? Well, he says it in verse 21, to live is Christ, listen to him, to die is gain. In verse 23, to depart and be with Christ is what? It's far better. Paul had a heavenly mindset. In Philippians chapter 3, he'll talk about some who mind earthly things in verse 19. In verse 20, he said, but our citizenship, our commonwealth is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when he wrote to the the saints in Colossae, he could say, set your mind on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Paul had a heavenly mindset. John in the Revelation in chapter 14, verse 13 said, Blessed are the dead which in the Lord. Yea, saith the Spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Paul welcomed death. That's why Paul could say, Listen, I'm willing to magnify Christ in my body whether by life or death. Paul understood that To be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. That's what he earnestly desired. And then finally, note if you would his commitment in verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul was committed to the work at hand. And I think as members of the body of Christ, as those who comprise the church of Christ, we have to commit ourselves to the service of the Lord for as long as we live here upon this earth. In the secular world, people talk about retirement. And that's all well and good. But when you become a Christian, you're saying, in effect, that you're going to be a faithful, productive child of God until when? Not till the age of 65, not till 70, but you're going to be a faithful, productive child of God until death. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. I had a friend of mine who is now in eternity, And I guess I respected this particular brother about as much as anybody I've ever known in in this life. And he talked about retirement to me on one occasion. And he said that when you're a Christian, retirement affords you greater opportunities for service. Just because you retire from secular work, don't retire from the cause of Christ. Paul here is saying to the saints in Philippi, listen, I'm committed to the task at hand. There is something for everyone to do in the body of Christ. What we have to do is find our niche and then get to work, to be busy, to be productive in the kingdom of God. Paul was always looking for doors of opportunity. I don't know where you are in your life, spiritually speaking. I may know where some of you are, but not where all of you are. But I know this, if we're the kind of people that the Lord wants us to be, we're going to constantly be looking for opportunities to lead others to Christ. We're always looking for a door of opportunity for service. It might be in the grocery store. It might be in a department store. It might be in in the schoolhouse. It might be on the job. It might be on the ball field. It might be in the neighborhood, wherever. We're always looking for doors of opportunity. If we're looking for doors of opportunity, when those doors open, what we need to do is run through them, exercise those doors of opportunity. And so, I close with this Is God using you to advance His kingdom? here in this community, in this world. God can use you, but you have to allow Him to use you as an instrument of righteousness. If you're here tonight and maybe you're a child of God, but you've not been involved in the work of the church like you should be, like you know you could be, could we encourage you to rethink your commitment to the cause of Christ Could we encourage you to begin looking for doors of opportunity? To think of yourself as a servant of the Lord. A servant of the Lord does what his master wants him to do. If we could pray for you tonight, we'd be happy to do that. The Bible says confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to invite you to come to Christ this hour. We want you to know that Christ died for your sins, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. That Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. That we must be willing to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, Acts 8, verse 37. And then we must be baptized or immersed in water for the washing away of our sins, Acts 22, verse 16. If you've not done that, why not do it this hour as we stand and sing for your encouragement.